0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com.
1: Thank you for listening. And good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. We're glad to have you listening in. And um, we've got another great Remembering Desert Chill and Desert Storm show. With uh, We have Lieutenant Colonel... Phil Farsberg, Farsberg on the line, and uh, he's going to be talking about Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Before we get started, though, we're going to continue our tradition of saying just a silent, everybody says their own thing, a silent little prayer for our brothers and sisters that are serving on active duty today, and uh, those that have served, and those that will serve at some point. We have the greatest military in the world and the best people, and we want to uh, celebrate that and also uh, the fact that this is President's Day. So keep that in mind, and we'll be back in just a moment. Just give us about a minute uh, of silent prayer, and we'll be back with our cadence call. amen thank you and uh we want to remember that uh you know this is all about a memorial to my friend and if you have a veteran or you are a veteran or a friend of a veteran that uh needs prayer we've got the J. roy ritchie prayer line and all you have to do is send their name in and we'll be sure to mention it on our veteran shows like this one or any other show that uh is involved with veterans and uh we also, this is a very special day as President's Day, and um, we've got a lot of troops in—five 5,000 men and women in Washington, D.C. right now. And I'm praying for them and that uh, somehow they'll be able to stay warm and uh, get through whatever is going on in D.C. But let's get back to uh, our show, and we've got phil's forsberg on and phil how are you doing today
0: i'm well david i'm glad to be here i hope you're well
1: too yes sir i've uh uh just sort of getting tired of the clouds but other than that uh, doing fine <laughs> and uh, i know there's a there's a dry day coming yes there'll be and I, I would imagine you all uh, in Desert Shield and Desert Storm would have taken a sky like we've got right now and, and been very happy with it.
0: Well, you know, uh, it's interesting. It was interesting to me anyway, David. Uh, it did rain there and it was quite humid. Um, it didn't really turn anything green. Uh, just kind of muddy the the soil there. It's, uh, it's not sand like you might find on a, a Panama City beach or something like that. It's more of a, I don't know, I used to call it cat box litter. Uh, <laughs> sort of clay and crumbly and I don't know. And when it rained, it just made everything kind of messy.
1: Kind of muddy. Well, it was already sort of messy I would imagine. <laughs> and uh, just went from bad to yeah. worse. But we're glad to have you here and we want to... Uh remember always, and that's why we do the show, and Phil, I appreciate so much you doing it, is that uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm, in many cases, has already been forgotten by the public, which I think is is terrible. We have to remember all of the wars where our men and women gave the ultimate sacrifice, and uh, we're thankful for the ones that came home and the ones that can tell their story to their grandkids or their kids and, and, uh, keep remembering. And like we've said over and over again, the veterans are our history books today. And it's an uh, important thing that the veterans take on that responsibility. They're, they're used, veterans are used to taking on responsibility. So that is your responsibility today to, Tell your story, and uh, that's what we're doing here. So, Phil, y- y- we were going to talk about uh, this. Was almost uh, the kickoff of the ground war, correct?
0: Yeah, the uh, the air war started. Uh, I guess it would have been the about midnight uh, from going from the sixteenth uh, to the seventeenth of uh, January of ninety one and uh and then the uh, the ground war began uh we started sending our troops uh you know in major units uh across into uh iraq and kuwait uh that would have been it would have kicked off on the the 24th of february of 91 and since they uh They told us uh, it was 100 hours to victory, so uh, it was just roughly four days, done on the 28th of
1: February. That's incredible. And I guess, uh, would this be a fair statement, that it was so well planned that um, Saddam couldn't stand up to what we were throwing at him?
0: No, no, he really couldn't. Um, you know, for many years, I mean, even before I came in the army in 1982, we uh, we had been preparing to uh, come to blows, uh, as uh, Slim Pickens says in, the, in that movie, uh, uh, Doctor Strangelove. He called it "Toe to Toe with the Ruskies in Nuclear Combat," and uh, and that's what we've been preparing for. Uh, a very, very difficult war against, uh, you know, the Soviet Union. And, uh, so that thankfully never did come to pass. And, uh, so everything we went up against Saddam with was stuff we had, you know, designed and, and, uh, trained around based on, uh, having to fight, uh, a European battle and, uh, it uh, it didn't turn out that way, and so when Saddam got basically got the face down, you know the full force of what we had, uh, it was just he crumbled like nothing. Yeah. And you know another thing is that you know they might have been they might have been able to put up more of a fight um, if the if the Iraqi soldiers felt like they had something really they were fighting for something good or noble or, or worthwhile. Uh, but in many of those cases, those fellows were uh, were conscripted. Uh, we, I heard a story about a guy that, you know, he surrendered and he was wearing a uh, Chicago Cubs uh, baseball cap. <laughs> and when the Americans showed up, he, he said, you know, he surrendered and he said, where have you guys been? We've been waiting for you.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, this particular fella had come, uh, he was, you know, his uh, uh, family background was from Iraq, but he, uh, as a young man, had emigrated with uh, most of his family to the United States. They were living in Chicago, and he was just back visiting some family when the whole unpleasantness kicked off, and uh, he got conscripted into the Army. So he basically told everybody in his unit just hang out here and wait, wait for the Americans and <laughs> we can surrender to them. Hmm.
1: All, always the other side isn't there.
0: Yeah. And uh, we were told at one point they were taking away any kind of white underwear that these folks might have had that they could use on a surrender flag. I- <laughs> you know, t-shirts and under drawers, that type of line line thing. Line so uh, they... Uh, their whole concept was they—they they knew that their troops were uh, well. They were kind of bluffing, you know.
2: Yeah.
0: Now there was some like your Republican guards, you know, that some of your hardened troops and more disciplined. They had the better equipment. Uh, they did. They did put up quite a fight, but uh, you know the the T sixty two Soviet tank up against the M one Abrams just 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 no match.
1: You know how are how are our desert shield and De- desert storm veterans doing today?
0: Uh, well, you know I do, as you know, David. I do work volunteer work with uh, veterans uh, in my capacity as a volunteer service officer with the uh, disabled American veterans, mm-hmm. and uh, we we do. Uh, I'm working with some right now, Desert Storm folks, uh, and a lot of a lot of the issues they have. Some there's some uh, post traumatic uh, stress. There's a lot of environmental factors that they've identified this Gulf War illness, and they're not really certain what went into uh, you know creating it. They're trying to uh, you know they, they had a great database. It took them you know decades to put together on. Uh, the effect of Agent Orange on the on the Vietnam veterans, and uh, it uh, so they're putting together something similar for Gulf War. There was a lot of things. There, of course, there was uh, the oil well fires. There was uh, the, you know some radiation possibly from uh, depleted uranium ammunition that we were using. Uh, there was uh, a lot of Uh, We've burned a lot of our own trash, uh, human waste and other uh, debris uh, in these burn pits that uh, there's some thinking maybe some of that uh, had an effect on the folks. Um, Some of the insecticides they used there. Um, And, uh, and believe it or not, you know, there's, uh, there's, um, we, we, we were told that we had to take uh, these pills that were supposed to help us mitigate the effects of uh, nerve agent in case uh, Saddam used nerve gas on us. And uh, I think some of that may have been a problem. And then there was a a day they marched us into the tent, said that we had to uh, take an inoculation for something they wouldn't tell us what was in the inoculation or what it was used for. Told us it was classified. We would be court-martialed if we didn't accept it. So uh, we all got something put in our system. Well, I, to this day, I don't know what it was. Um, and uh, you know, when I when I see guys and uh, and this kind of stuff is is done to our veterans, and you know, I uh, I'm all about helping veterans get uh, compensated for the effects of these things, and my hope is that, uh, you know, I'm sorry it costs the government money, but, you know, it's costing these veterans their health, and uh, maybe if they have to pay for it in the future, they'll, uh, they won't they do stuff like that to our heroes.
1: Right. Um, Phil, we're going to take our first break, and we'll be back with Phil, I should say Lieutenant Colonel, retired. <laughs> And uh, I always stand at uh, attention when I'm talking to you. So we'll be back right after this.
0: My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal.
1: Thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening
0: to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for
2: listening.
1: And I always like to add my two cents worth because uh, I had a very enjoyable morning yesterday with uh, our mutual friend, Colonel Rick White. And um, he was kind enough to ask me to uh, join him at his church. And. Uh, Enjoyed seeing him and going to be with a couple of other friends and Rick uh, Wednesday, as a matter of fact, and uh, looking forward to a little breaking of bread. But anyway, I always want to uh, keep in mind that uh, the military, and we do this show for – the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and uh, Rick is the uh, director down there and does just a fantastic job. And if you're ever in Atlanta or you live in Atlanta and you haven't been to the the Military Hall of Fame... Whoops. Something slipped up there. But anyway, uh, if you haven't been to the Georgia Military Hall of Fame, it's something that you've got to go down and see. And... uh, check out all of our Georgia heroes that uh, have served and some have given the ultimate sacrifice for you and me. And it's it's just super. You've, you've got to go down and see it. With that being said, let's get back to Phil and talking about Desert Storm and Desert Shield and um, what was happening uh, and it seems like it was yesterday for me, but it You know, we're talking, what, 30-something years?
0: Yeah, it's right at 30 years, David.
1: Wow. And, uh, you know, and I guess this was one of the first times that so many uh, reservists were used, correct?
0: Well, there were a fair number of reservists. Um, You know, uh, here in Georgia, uh, there was a bit of a, Uh, some bad blood between the uh, the guard and the the regular army Uh, the uh, the Georgia brigade that was supposed to round out the the 24th infantry division was uh, they were they were mobilized to go because their division was going and uh, or they were getting ready to mobilize some folks in the regular army had cold feet about it and they said well you're going to have to have to go out to the National Training Center and prove yourself first, ready to go. Um, and uh, so uh, they actually did, and they did well out there at the National Training Center. But uh, meantime, the Regular Army made the decision they were going to just use the uh, the One Ninety Seventh Infantry Brigade out of uh, out of Fort Benning to round out, and it caused a great deal of. Uh, animosity between uh, the Guard and the regular Army. Uh, had I been in the in the Georgia Guard, I'd have had no hard feelings not being allowed to go. But uh, <laughs> a lot of those guys felt they had been uh, cheated out of their, their place in history. Uh, hmm. But, uh, you, you know, things have changed quite a bit uh, between the Guard and Reserve and with the operations tempo we've had since 9-11. Uh, There's just, you know, the Guard is just a fantastic partner, and the the regular Army is really recognizing that. Okay,
1: okay. let let, let me interrupt for a second and and break into this. Uh, You have two facets. You have the National Guard, which is actually the State National Guard, the Georgia National Guard, or Oklahoma, or whatever it is. But then also you have the... Army Reserve, sure. and, which is a totally separate thing from the National Guard.
0: It is. Uh, what you have to understand is, uh, you know, going back in history, in, uh, uh, in uh, 1898, uh, we were going to war with Spain, if you can, I mean, mm-hmm. that goes even back before you, David. <laughs> but Not uh, much. <laughs> We were going to war with Spain, and basically over, you know, the explosion of the main, whether it was a torpedo or whether a boiler blew up, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, so the president uh, said we were going to call up the, uh, the militia, the National Guard of the states. And uh, believe it or not, the governors of the states said, no, you don't. They said, uh, if you read the Constitution... The militia is there to repel invasions, and uh, you know, take care of domestic stuff. And you know that we, you know, was the first time really we were kind of going outside the borders of our country to go to uh, armed conflict. And uh, so it was a real uh, uh, testing period. And we had to work out what exactly the relationships were going to be, um, and uh, well, that's when they stood up the first U.S. volunteers, which is the uh, forerunner of the uh, of the Army Reserve, it was a completely federal reserve force, and uh, in 1903, uh, the Congress passed the Militia Act, and uh, and basically it established that the National Guard had two roles. Uh, one was state support and the other was as a Federal Reserve. So they call that the dual mission in the Guard. And so, uh, and so that's the way it is to this day. And, uh, my grandfather, uh, in, uh, 1917 got drafted into the, uh, New York National Guard, and he went as part of the 27th Infantry Division, uh, which was a New York National Guard Division, went, went to uh, France and Belgium and fought there, hmm. and uh, so speaking of uh, disabled veterans, he was wounded uh, in a German poison gas attack on the 29th of September, 1918 a vicinity of a little town called Boney, France, B-O-N-Y, Boney, France. Hmm.
1: You know, there is, because I, I was in the Texas National Guard when I moved to Georgia, and I joined the 310th Civil Affairs Army Reserves. And, uh, you know, there's interchanging between the two, but only the governor can call out his state National Guard, but as soon as they can be called out, they can be federalized, correct?
0: Uh, well, it, it, the, the President of the United States can order uh, the militia or the Guard in the various states at, at his discretion uh, to, to what they call service of the United States. And so uh, so that's commonly what, what people think of as federalized Uh and when he does that, they're no longer the National Guard. They are the United States Army, or in the case of the Air Guard, the United States Air Force.
1: And we've got 5,000 still in D.C.
0: Yeah. Now there are various uh, uh, auspices under which they can serve. Uh, they can uh, serve uh, under Title Ten. Uh, title 10 of the U.S. Code would be uh, uh, federal control and federal money. Uh, title 32 the state control, but federal money. And then they can be uh, uh, activated by the governor on uh, what we call state active duty. And in that case, they, uh, they're state control, and they um, paid out of uh, an appropriation from the state legislature so they paid by the state
1: well it's uh, it's good we have them and I was very fortunate and never was uh, called up but uh, with my my MOS (laughs) uh, thank goodness they turned me into a a company clerk because 11 Bravo 11 Bravo is just a ground pounder But uh,
0: you know, if you went back in history, you'd probably find a few company clerks that had gotten Medal of Honor or or, uh, Silver Star. Um, You know, they. uh, You know that just gets you to the to the dance.
1: Yeah, Uh, you know what? Once
0: you're there, you do what's necessary.
1: You know what they uh, say in the army is that. First and foremost, your infantry. No matter what your MOS is, you're infantry. And, uh,
0: yeah, you're a bullet launcher.
1: Yep. <laughs> I'd forgotten that you used that term. I love that term, bullet launcher. Um, <laughs> so we're back to uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And um, I guess the uh, – the, how much um, – how much was contract in uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm? For instance, uh, I know a lot of um, contract is done in mess halls today as opposed to using uh, using the uh, privates to uh, peel potatoes.
0: You know, uh, David, you're really showing your age, calling it a mess hall. Those are dining facilities now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, But no, the, uh, the yeah, there's been a lot of privatization uh, and contracting going out for for various things, and I really, I think it's a very good thing. Um, you know, I can remember going to, to Fort Benning when I was first commissioned in the infantry, and uh, seeing a big sign, uh, you know, on the uh, encouraging people not to litter. And it basically said our soldiers are not here to pick up your trash. <laughs> but if you waited long enough, you'd see soldiers out there picking up trash because people.
1: I, I think that's called policing the area.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and and that's good, but you know, that really, it's not a very uh, appropriate use of uh, of a soldier's time. We could be training or or you know, doing something, maintaining his equipment or whatever, but, uh, so I think there's a lot of ways in which we've gotten away from, uh, soldiers doing things that can be contracted out. And I think there's a cost savings, you know, used to, used to come up, you know, to the, to the gate to enter the installation and there, there'd be a military police officer, uh, or, you know, military policeman, Mm uh, you know, usually corporal or sergeant and they'd be you know checking ids and waving people through and you know that's great but uh you know uh now it's all that's all gone to uh, other folks um uh, it kind of leaned down the forces uh, there's a lot of uh, technical equipment uh you know uh, very sophisticated stuff that uh and we would have contractors come out and maintain uh, some of our more sophisticated equipment. Um, we had, uh, now the Mohawks that I flew were strictly a military aircraft, but uh, the uh, some of the signals intelligence birds that we had, they were uh, modeled on a, on a beach craft, uh, either a uh, uh, King Air 90 or uh, King Air 200 uh, airframe, and uh, Raytheon, who who uh, was a manufacturer of uh, of these aircraft, they provided contract maintenance. These aircraft were certified, you know, under FAA standards, and so the maintainers could be uh, could be uh, civilian, uh, you know, civilian trained. Uh, airframe and power plant personnel. There's a lot of, and even, uh, you know, I understand, I never served on one, but uh, I understand uh, a lot of ships, aircraft carrier, and uh, other uh, Navy vessels have uh, contractors, you know, on board to help with some of the more sophisticated equipment on board. Hmm. And I think that's good, you know. Um, you
1: know that. Uh, Pardon me. The first time
0: the folks that serve in uniform should be your combatants.
1: Mm -hmm. The uh, first time I ever really came across uh, contractors at a gate was at Fort Leonard Wood, and I was going as a civilian doing business there. And uh, I, I when I drove up and it was all civilian. Let me ask, what authority do they have if uh, I want? You know, I know they can lift up the guardrails or whatever and puncture your tires or whatever and this kind of stuff but what uh, authority do the contractors have on a on a gate situation or any situation really
0: well i don't know uh, and, and at the gate they may not be contractors you know every federal agency uh all the way to the uh the national zoo has its own police force um you know the FAA and the Department of Energy and uh, all these other. The Department of Defense has a police force, the Department of Defense police force, and that's who you may be looking at at those gates. Hmm. So, uh, and I guarantee you, they have federal arrest
1: authority. The uh, the other question that I have regarding going back to the dining facility. Uh, mess hall in my case it was just after I got on on uh, into basic and uh, had gone through the chow line and was finishing up and they told us how to take care of our tray and all of this and I get outside, and there are three garbage cans, and one of them says edible garbage. Now, that's worried me all, you know, that worried me (laughs) for years and years that they were recycling or something, and come to find out the hog farmers were picking up those barrels. Yeah, it depends who's eating it if it's edible, right?
0: (laughs) Well, Uh, yeah.
1: Even officers, I think, uh, had to... Had to throw their trays or, or throw whatever is left into the edible garbage. Yeah. But those were a long, well, long time ago. I'm sure they've gotten much more sophisticated than that.
0: I do recall uh, that uh, our uh, one of the very best mess sergeants we ever had uh they told us one day they were going to be putting him out of the army because he was overweight. Now I'll tell you what—that uh, that caused a real morale problem because he was the best mess sergeant we ever had. We didn't care how fat he was.
1: Well, I don't know how how being fat uh, interrupts your uh, ability to cook. You got to test it, you know.
0: Well, I think they said, "Well." you know, he wouldn't be able to fight very well. And, you know, our argument was, we'll fight for him, just keep him cooking for
1: us. <laughs> well, I wonder, uh, you got any other uh, uh, stories from, uh, that are particularly Desert Shield or Desert Storm stories that uh, you'd like to relate? Well,
0: uh, you know, the... Uh, I know a lot of folks think it's uh, maybe a lot of, uh, you know, action or whatever, but you know, there's long periods of inaction and kind of drudgery. And, uh, you know, the, the things that kept us going each day, because it's kind of almost like being in jail, wanting to, you know, turn the next calendar page. Um, was, uh, you know, there, was, there were certain, you know, hallmarks of our day, and they would be, you know, chow and uh, mail and uh, I think personal hygiene. But, uh, those are the things, you know, you, you you check those off, and that's a day. And, uh, um, it was very, uh, it was very hot there 125 130 some days uh and i didn't get there until late september of uh, 1990 and i was able to leave right at the end of march of 91 and uh but it was at the beginning it was very hot as uh as summer dissipated there and uh, and then uh we would uh uh, when it when it got to be late November and December, uh, it started to get overcast and cloudy. I remember I hadn't seen a bird in probably three months, and then uh, it started to uh, to rain a little bit. There'd be puddles of water, and suddenly there were birds. Huh. There were birds. There were insects, um, scorpions, and. Plenty of flies, and uh, eventually, uh, you know, we we actually had foxes showing up. Hmm. It's amazing in the desert, you know, what there is out there, and how, where where are these things been? You know, they seem to spring up out of the ground. Well, our safety officer was uh, was sleeping one night in his bunk and uh, out laying on his back, he uh, kind of sensed something on his chest. He looked up and uh, woke up opened his eyes and he was nose to nose with a fox
1: he oh, left wow. a yell
0: fox jumped up and ran out of there <laughs>
1: <laughs> jeez you know there, yeah. there's one good thing about the military they do train you well and hurry up and wait don't they
0: yeah yeah it's uh well you know the uh, soldiers can get can get pretty jaded um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, and it, it, it's difficult sometimes, you know, uh, my thing was always try not, never to waste my soldier's time, um, because I, I know just how frustrating that is, but, you know, when you're trying to manage a large group, whether for movement or whatever, you know, it costs for a fair amount of patience and understanding, uh, on the part of the troops
1: it did, did uh, I'm just curious because it's been like you pointed out so uh carefully it's been a long time since uh, <laughs> I was in I, and I didn't make a mark by your name for that by the way um, so was there was was there ever a problem in your command as far as um any of the any problems uh, within as far as the uh, troops were concerned?
0: We, uh, well, um, the one thing that's most memorable uh, uh, as far as discipline is concerned, we had a guy, uh, you know, I was in, a, in an aviation unit. We had the OB one Mohawks, and uh, there was a guy who was a, a Sergeant E-5, And uh, he was an airframe specialist, you know, basically a sheet metal guy for, for, you know, holes in the airplane and patches that needed to be replaced. Uh, It came down to uh, our movement day, and uh, he didn't show up, and he uh, was—so we got on our— Pan Am Clipper New Horizons 747. Uh, we left out of Robert Gray Army Airfield at Fort Hood, Texas. And <laughs> we left without him. And uh, I never knew really what happened to him. Uh, and uh, he apparently lived in uh, a, a trailer somewhere not too far from Fort Hood. And he continued to live there. And I guess one day he was out. Uh, chopping some wood and the axe slipped and he cut his leg and so he went down to uh, Darnell Army Community Hospital Fort Hood to uh, get fixed up and they took him in they checked his ID and they stitched up his leg and then uh, as he was getting ready to leave the military policemen were there and they collected him up Hmm. And of course, uh, I don't know if you know this, but only uh, only his command could charge him. So they sent him to where his command was, and uh, so they sent him to us out in uh, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, so he didn't he didn't uh, avoid going to Saudi Arabia, and uh, they held a court martial for him right there in. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, and uh, they convicted convicted him of, uh, I don't know, desertion or uh, missing movement or something. Yeah, to my knowledge, I think he got eight years at Leavenworth, mm. and uh, he was uh, basically under house arrest at our unit, and if you can imagine, if there were any menial tasks to be done, uh he was the guy doing them and uh, and he was still stuck there in Saudi Arabia in the desert when I left
2: wow
0: so uh, I think that was a very good very instructive lesson to the rest of our soldiers because we all went back to victory parades and uh, people buying us beers and slapping us on the back and he went you know so he could take take the Long slow train to uh, Kansas, to the United States disciplinary barracks.
1: Mm. You know, and, and his life is ruined. You know, uh, yeah. it, it's not a, it's not yeah. a, a one and done. It's the rest of his life. He'll uh, un- a dishonorable discharge. You know, he'll be lucky to be a garbage collector. And I'm not putting them down, but no. Uh,
0: you know, he, he definitely didn't set himself uh, on a fast track for success. Um, but, you know, I was referred in the presence of my company commander uh, years before Desert Storm. I referred to a certain soldier as worthless. And he corrected me and he said, now listen, every soldier has value if nothing else, to be an example for others.
2: <laughs> mm.
0: And so I I adopted that philosophy, and, and if I couldn't get any value out of uh, a soldier, I made sure that he was an example to the others. And this fella, this sheet metal guy, well, he was uh, definitely an example to these folks, and uh, I don't think we'd ever have another guy in this movement.
1: <laughs> I bet not. <laughs> Gee. Well it's uh you know it's like the old Indian saying, uh, walk a mile in my moxicans and you don't know what was going on in the guy's life and uh what caused him to make that kind of terrible decision, but uh unfortunately he'll live with it until he until he dies. He'll live with it always. Yeah. But
0: and, you know, I don't know if he we thought it was going to be all that dangerous or whatever I mean we did lose some folks I think we lost under 300 total killed which is pretty good when you've got a force of about a half a million folks but um, you know I mean for crying out loud this guy he wasn't you know he wasn't going in with a ranger battalion you mm-hmm. know uh, he wasn't the pointy end into the spear he was to be patching bullet holes in, in aircraft, you know?
1: Uh, and generally, you all parked behind it. the line, didn't you? Say again? But generally speaking, you all parked your planes behind the line.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> in fact, we uh, we were unable to get any uh, ramp space at the airfields up close to the border, and so we had to stay back at Damam mom at uh, King Fod International Airport and um, so it was it, when we would take off to do a mission it was a long way up just just to get into the battle area <laughs> uh, so our folks now you know we did uh, we did get uh, scud missiles fired at us and one landed about a half a mile from us um, but uh, you know uh, what can you say <laughs> it, it uh, wasn't that have- Well, I didn't lose anybody
1: in my unit. Well, I know what I got to say is that we've got to take a break right quick, and we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Phil Forsberg right after this. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. And i like to take this opportunity after playing that uh, spot for the Army is that if you're a graduating a high school senior or college graduate or you still haven't decided what to do the military has something for you that you'll find that is outstanding Uh, no matter what your interest is i can personally guarantee you that some branch of the army or navy or air force or some branch has a position position that you'll love and Chances are you'll do like my son's done is uh, career it and uh it's uh the military is a uh, not like it used to be it's totally different and yet it's always doing a fantastic job so if you're young and uh haven't decided what you want to do with your life, check into the military and I would almost uh well, it would be Phil's money, but I, I'd bet you whatever that you'll find something that uh, you like to do. Am I too far off on that, Phil?
0: No. Uh, no, there's lots of great careers for folks to do. Uh, and, uh, and I guess if I had any advice to give to somebody who's considering uh, going into the uh, armed forces, any one of them, would be find somebody uh, who has been there. And uh, and get their opinion. Tell them what what you think you'd like to do, and find out you know what they think. If they think uh, that would be uh, the way to go, or what questions you need to ask of the of the recruiters, uh, you know, um, because uh, you know things change over time, but not that much and not that fast that you. Uh, couldn't benefit from some wise
1: counsel. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, speaking of things changing so much, uh, how big a factor was the computer in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and both from a personal standpoint and also from the military standpoint, and, and what you were flying?
0: Well, uh, you know, what I was flying was kind of a Vietnam... Uh, era vintage aircraft, uh, and it, it had some upgrades and improvements since Vietnam, but it was essentially the, uh, the navigation system we had was, uh, inertial, uh, basically three axis gyros, you know, gyro stabilized, mm. uh, uh, inertial navigation system. And, uh, we had to wait, uh, we had to keep, uh, to the airplane for about 45 minutes to align the aircraft uh, before we were able to take off Uh, so it was a bit of a lengthy process but as we were uh, as we were getting ready to leave somebody had given our maintenance officer um, some of these handheld what they called gps Basically, GPS uh, guidance system, and we didn't know. Oh yeah, it has to do with uh, satellites, and uh, you know, it's all up in the stars. And uh, anyway, they uh, they weren't approved uh, to navigate by, but when they were ferrying the aircraft uh, over the Atlantic and back, um, they found them quite uh, quite handy. Uh, and uh, you know a good backup to where you are
1: mm-hmm. interesting what about the uh, as a commander what about the uh, the use of uh telephones and uh, and uh, Skype or whatever for a, for a soldier to talk to uh, his wife or his family at home
0: uh, you know, we used to get morale calls that we'd be allowed to, to talk back to the States maybe 15 minutes, so we'd get those about, I don't know, once a week on average. There'd be some time, but and if you had a real emergency or something, then they'd kind of clear the decks for you. But we, uh, you know, a lot of back then, we did a lot You're basically just by writing notes, hmm. you know, Paper letters to each other, and uh, it worked okay. Um, My, uh, I received my very first ever email. I think a man told you this while I was in the
1: from your brother, I believe, wasn't it?
0: My brother, who worked for IBM at the time, and they had just come up with some system called Prodigy, Mm -hmm. and uh, so he had sent this email, this digital message to uh somewhere somebody somewhere in the theater and uh some uh, I guess whoever received it printed it off and uh somebody put it in a truck and drove it to me huh. so that's how I received my very first email
1: did uh what about just generally speaking as far as computers not not necessarily for personal use but just uh, in theater or in country, how were they used? I, did,
0: I do recall we had some some uh, what you call desktop computers, uh, and uh, I can't remember quite what we used them for, uh, but they were quickly becoming uh, recognized as you know some sort of work saving device. Uh, a lot of, I guess, a lot of it was word processing that we did back then. Uh, on the computer um, but and then of course the, there was no internet uh, uh, Al Gore hadn't invented it yet at that point
2: point.
0: <laughs> and uh, the um, oh uh, you know communications uh, well I'll tell you what you pick up a phone today and and you know your mobile phone you can call anywhere anytime uh, you could call overseas. You could uh, send text messages. Uh, this was all, you know, uh, you know, way, way in the future for us. We we couldn't really imagine that. Uh, but you know, uh, communication so very, very important in in a, in a battlefield environment. And uh, and I, you know, you talk about career fields that, that the young people can go into I'll tell you what, if you get yourself a, a communications type uh, job in the Armed Forces and get yourself uh, a uh, top secret clearance um, you'll never want for a job uh, communications and uh, network uh, engineer type things, it will be lining up for you
1: Without a doubt. And at a very good pay point.
0: Yeah. In fact, I have no idea how they get those guys to re Because, you know, I don't think they can offer them anything close to what they could get on the the civilian market.
1: Well, and, you know quite frankly this is good because then they're like you said earlier they're an example for the next group and uh you know it's uh that resume can go with you for life and we're learning now that uh just because you have a college degree you may find that uh somebody that as a practical experience is better off than you are and uh It's taken a long time to get there, but that's, uh, in many cases, that's where we are today. And uh, certainly, we support the military, uh, you know, in in every avenue of that, plus the the benefits that if you make a career of it and retire, then the benefits afterwards are as good, if not better, than any civilian job you might have. And yet you can double dip and become a civilian as well. So there are a lot that do that, and uh, I think it's great. And I I really feel like the military today is finally getting the respect that it's always deserved but didn't necessarily get. Would you uh, yeah, well, I, agree with I that? I think
0: part of the, you know, the animosity people may have felt in the past toward the services a little bit based on fear of getting drafted and thank god we don't we don't do that anymore uh, wouldn't uh, wouldn't go as far as uh, former senator john Kerry is to say you know you plunk out of school you're going to wind up in the army um that lies a certain contempt for those who serve our country.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> he had to cut himself to get a Purple Heart too. So
0: he, he well, not only that, I think he he typed up those award submissions himself.
1: Uh, yeah, probably, and then then threw the medals over the fence. But yeah we uh you know it takes all kinds and i'm just glad that we had your kind of soldier and uh Rick White's kind of soldier and uh uh salute to Rick's uh, son that's also in the military and uh you know he's got to be as I'm a proud father of a of a serviceman right now uh, so is Rick and uh everybody should be proud of their kids that decide that they want to either follow in their father's footsteps or just branch out on their own and decide that the, a military career is for them. And a career could be, you know, it could be six years or it could be 20 years or 30 years. So it all depends on the situation. Well, I'm deep, deeply
0: grateful for the folks that served before me uh, and that served with me and that served after me and especially those who are serving today deeply grateful
1: absolutely
0: um, wonderful folks
1: and you know i'm very fortunate to be able to say this and and very fortunate to uh, have met so many veterans that they're just they're just good folks they love their country and they're just good folks and uh, I love to ask. In fact, I got in a situation the other day that uh, we had a gentleman from the Model A Club on, and he was talking about their membership and all, and I said, Look, I ask every veteran that I interview one question, and that is can you tell me one veteran that can only tell one story? and um, I said the same way with the Model A Club of America can you name one Model A hobbyist that can only tell one story and you know I keep stumping people they can't come up with any names um, and this is this is the value like I said the value of the veteran being our history book today and they need to tell their family what they did why they did it and uh, Keep our history alive for you know for uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm and you know just we we have to keep that in front of people and uh, all of our all of our folks be it Vietnam Desert Shield Desert Storm or uh, Korea or. Whenever we still have veterans left, and we're getting very, very short on veterans from World War II. And more and more, we're losing more and more from Vietnam, as a matter of fact. But we have to keep telling their story. if you're in a situation, buy them a dinner, buy them a lunch, buy them a drink, and you'll enjoy it more than they will. Phil, one more time, thank you so much for being on. And uh, We'll continue to keep the memory alive next week. All right. Thank you, David. Yes. Take care. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the
0: AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.